Whoa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. This is Connor Holler of the Golden Hours Podcast, and this is a quick little GDP Minute. Listen, man, I just had a bleedy blast with Michael S. Hawley, and I was calling him Mike before the episode, so glad I didn't blow it there again. Michael is uh, a prize-winning journalist, and he has been following Boston sports forever. He's a real insider into the Patriots world, the Red Sox world, the Celtics world. He's actually writing a new book on the Celtics. And I had a blast, man. He's a really, really smart dude. His points were super transparent. We talked about The Last Dance, the documentary. I actually haven't finished it yet. And we also discussed who's the better athlete of all time, Brady or Jordan. Obviously, I've got to go with my with Brady dog, but he's going with Jordan. And um, talked about having integrity as a journalist. I know it seems super weird because I'm just like the young grinder out here, but I have had to have this weird stance recently about being truthful in everything we've done because podcast is essentially media. And so I want to make sure I'm at least being honest about everything going on so it was really interesting hearing his perspective and what journalism means to him he's just forever he's just cared about uncovering the truth and getting the truth to people so really really cool perspective um i loved it man i hope you guys enjoy it. a lot of boston sports talk in there for boston sports fan and he's the man i hope we have a we have the chance to do it again anyway if you enjoyed the episode just share with a friend that's all we ask and if you don't have friends you shouldn't be listening to podcasts shouts out to lexi for getting it done she's the one who lined it up she's the new producer at the gdp team and uh shouts out to being slugs for the quick research turnaround too they're killing it research team is stroking it man um nonetheless all love enjoy golden deer productions golden deer. oh oh wait was that not it hey, enter just you forgot to enter hi i'm michael holly and this is my golden hour Michael, I'm Connor, man. I'm glad we finally see each other's face. Hey, Connor. Hey, good, good to see you after after talking to you. And you know, as I told you, you have uh, you've got good taste. You've hired very well with uh, Lexi Matthews. Who I I I gotta say, I gotta say, really, um, I always um, I always want to encourage uh, students to do what they want to do. And I'm not trying to say, I'm not trying to say that uh, producers do not have an important role because they do. I just don't understand <clears throat> why Lexi Matthews wants to be a producer where she could do anything in the business. <laughs> she could do whatever she wants. I can't understand it. I mean, she could be a superstar on TV. She could be a superstar writer, radio, but she wants to produce. I'm amazed. I was perplexed when I talked to Lexi's friend. I don't know if you also have Riley in your class. Who? Lexi, do you, does Riley take classes with you and Professor Holly? No, she doesn't have Professor Holly. Well, I just talked to one of Lexi's friends and she said Lexi is graduating a year early. I'm not surprised. You're a nerd, Lexi. No, I know. I accept it. No, she's, she's, really, she's really brilliant. I'm not just saying that uh, because she's here. She's brilliant. She could be uh, working in the business right now. Well, I'm pumped she lined this up, man. Thank you for doing this for us. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. It. And I'll make sure I got you the whole time. I'm calling you Michael. My fault for blowing it over text, no, man. Hey, listen, that's why I... <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't... I, you know, I was thinking, all right, how, how, do I, how do I say this? How do I say it uh, without sounding like a jerk? And there's just no way of saying it without sounding like a jerk. So 
I, I wanted to just say it uh, over text <laughs> so we wouldn't have to go through like any kind of awkwardness during the podcast. I, like my mother told me when I was like a little kid, I, w- I was at the doctor's office. I was like five years old or something, something like that. And the doctor said, all right, Mike. And I was said, and I said to him, Hey, you know, it's Michael. I was five. <laughs> I just, it's just always been, I've never really perceived myself as a Mike. Now I'll tell you this, Connor though. So we're getting to know each other now. I I'm telling you, Michael, and you'll call me Michael. And then when we get to know each other better, you'll call me Mike. And I won't even correct you. Like there are people who I love and they know that I go by Michael, but then they'll just slip up and call me Mike and I don't trip about it. It's just. I'll tell you what would be real disrespectful is if someone called you Mikey, you, you got a backhand if they call you Mikey. Yeah, that, that, that might be backhand material. There are only like a couple of them where a backhand is, is uh, apropos. I think that might be one. That's just like if someone calls you like buddy, buddy's just, oh, that's a choke. I don't slam. mind that. I don't mind. I, I, I think I use that on my kids. Ooh. Well, that's why it's acceptable. But if you call another grown man, buddy, whoa, that's a Chris Jericho pedigree, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I also have our other two producers on the phone. I got Sarah Slugs and Brendan. Guys, say what's up to Michael Hawley. Hi, how are you? Hey, Michael. Hello, Sarah and Brendan. Good to, good to see you in some ways. Yes. We've got a kick-ass team over here, man. Um, real quick, before we move on, can you just give a quick synopsis of who you are and what you do? Um, I am Michael. <laughs> I'm Michael Holly. Uh, I'm a broadcaster, uh, NBC Sports Boston. Uh, I'm a writer. I'm a professor at Boston University. So I'm a dad, husband. That, that's pretty much uh, that. That's it. And you seem like uh, a good guy, man. Lo- lover of music, lover of books. Yeah. So what are you writing right now? Uh, writing a book on the big three, uh, the new big three of the Boston Celtics. You know, the original was Mikhail, Bird, Parrish. But this is on uh, uh, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and Ray Allen, that whole era of, of Celtics basketball. So it's the big three is, is a centerpiece, but it's just about the entire era. And it's been very enjoyable uh, just going over the rough draft, and just doing some of the research has been a lot of fun. Just some things I had forgotten or, or things that I knew, but just revisiting them uh, puts them in a new light. So it, it, I'm excited about it. I don't know when it's coming out. Maybe in the fall. Maybe, maybe next fall. I, I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm having a lot of fun doing it. You know what I remember about that team specifically is how they had just the most savage um role players like they had eddie house and big baby and was sheldon williams on that team sheldon williams was in in 2010 yeah so 08 08 the role players james posey used to go up and give everybody those deep soulful hugs before every game Uh, james posey eddie house you got pj brown later in the season got sam cassell uh later in the season and the 2010 group was a little different. You can tell that I'm still in that mode. 2010 group, you had, they traded for Nate Robinson. So Eddie House is gone, replaced by Nate Robinson. Big Baby Davis had, had more of a role. That's uh, when Nate called him in Big Baby uh, Shaq and Donkey, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. right. Shaq and Donkey. Hey, um, Brendan, do you remember that season? Of course, man. I remember. I was in eighth grade. I Ooh. Th- <sighs> 
I was a spring chicken back then, man. Oh God. And I got bags under my eyes, but I remember that season. I had grown up in Lincoln, Mass, and Hanscom Air yeah. Force Base is in Lincoln. Mm-hmm. And so I remember when they were coming back for game six, they flew into Hanscom, and I showed up, and I was just begging for an autograph. And these guys just looked at me like, kid, you got no shot, man. <laughs> You're like, why are you at the air? Why are you meeting us at our private, uh, our private airport here? Exactly. So ha- have you been, uh, you been doing a bunch of interviews with the old players, or how have you been gathering most of your data? Yeah, that's part of the process. Part of the process is, uh, and, and I can't wait to talk about it. I, I can't tell you yet. I can't tell you yet, but uh, I've tried a, because every book is different. So I've tried a, a, a different approach uh, to getting this one done. So when it's over, I can tell you how it all came together. I'm very excited about it because it's my first basketball book. And I was such a coward uh, over the years. I have I have fought through my fears and, and, and written a basketball book now because you can't see it behind me. One of the basketball books behind me is by David Halberstam called Breaks of the Game. And, and for my money, it's the best basketball book ever written. And it was, uh, he wrote it in the seventies. He was focused on the Portland Trailblazers when uh, Bill Walton, they won a championship in 1977, but then they got to a great start in 78. Bill Walton got hurt. And just talking about how the franchise just really uh, everything changed off of that injury. And so I read that book. I've read it several times. And after you read Breaks of the Game and some of the great basketball writers who are, who are connected to Boston, like Bob Ryan and Jackie McMullen, I just, I just bowed out. I said, I'm not touching, I'm not touching the basketball book. They're just too, they're just too good. <laughs> I don't, I don't so want to. That was your main reservation was that there was just like too much of a. I, it, yeah, they, they were. I, I, I just feel like there's so many great basketball books. Unless it's really, it's got, it, it's got to be deep in there. You've got you've to really have something to say. It really has to be fighting to come out of you uh, to write it. Because look, it, it's just like, it's not just basketball books, it's like a lot of books. And, and Lexi has heard me say this. Uh, in class, when you're writing a book or writing an article or a column, an essay, one of the questions you have to answer is, why does this need to be written? And if you can't answer that question, maybe you shouldn't be writing it. So I was hiding a little bit. I had some basketball things that needed to be written. I was just scared to write them because I have so much respect for the, for the writers who have come before me. But now, now, you know, I just, I just turned 50. You don't look 50, man. Uh, well, thank you. I turned you 50. You look 60. God is good. God is good. But I, I turned 50. And, and one of the things I said uh, turning 50 was that I was going to do some things that I should have done 10 years ago or 15 years ago. So I can tell you who this book is dedicated to. It was dedicated to my grandmother who really taught me storytelling. She got me excited about writing and, and communicating with people because I used to just sit around her and listen to her, talk to her friend. She'd tell me to go away, go play, go play. I'd say, no, no, I want to listen to you talk because she was such an interesting, uh, colorful speaker. So uh, as, as I thought about, I've been thinking about her a lot and uh, thinking that I'm in this position because of her. So I am writing this book. Why does this book need to be written? Because I love basketball and this is a tribute to my grandmother. Now, where were you at in your career in that 
that 2008 championship? Were you like killing it at the time? Or were you kind of rising up? Uh, 2008, I was not in eighth grade. Like you were. Okay. okay. I'm trying to do the math. You're 50. So, okay. No, I was 38. I was 38. I was working at, it was a good time in my career and good time in my life. I was working at uh, WEEI. I was doing a sports radio show. I was doing middays with uh, Dale Arnold. And at that time, 08, uh, my, my son was born. First child. I have three kids. My son Robinson was born November 1st, 2008. So they, when they won, my wife was pregnant, uh, June 17th, 2008, when they won the championship. And uh, she went into labor at a Celtics game, believe it or not. Wow. Her, her, her water broke uh, the, uh, October, her birthday, uh, October 31st. They were playing the Bulls. The next season. Yeah, yeah. So like 08, 08, yeah. 08 09 season. They're playing the Bulls. They had gotten their rings the game before against Cleveland. So they're playing the Bulls, and we have great seats. I'm like, hey, I got to take my wife out for a birthday because the kid wasn't due for a few weeks. So I said, okay, it's going to be our last night out uh, before we have to just settle down and think about being responsible adults. And Derrick Rose is just balling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so you know, we're, we're there. It's her birthday, the night out. Hey, we're going to the Celtics game. And first quarter, she says, my water broke. And I just remember looking straight ahead, like, oh, my God, I'm not a little boy anymore. <laughs> life, life has changed. I said, hey, you want to go? She said, no, your seats are too good. <laughs> Let's really? There's a straight up. Wow. So you guys watched the rest of the game with her water broke? No, no, no. Just the first, the rest of the first half. Okay. <laughs> and, and, I, and then I think she was just a little, she was just a little thrown off by it because, hey, you never delivered a baby before. Like, what, what's going on? So she wasn't in any kind of pain. But then when we started to leave, I think it, it, it became real for her too. But funny story, her brother was living in New York. And that was a nationally televised game against the Bulls. So he's texting me saying, hey, I see you guys. In the, in the first quarter, I see you guys on TV. I'm like, hey, hey. And then in the third quarter, fourth quarter, he sent me a text. He said, well, where'd you go? I said, well, it's funny that you ask because your sister. We're at uh, Mass General Hospital right uh, now. Your sister is in labor. So uh, you might want to uh, come on over to Boston. I'm surprised you didn't name your son Pierce. Ah, oh, that's too much. That's too much of a cliche. I'd have to, you know what? You know what, Connor? It would have to be one of those bench guys. You know, you've got to be real. It had to be like house or something. You know, you can't just go for the Your kid would man. be a major league bully if you named him yeah. house, man. <laughs> Rondo. How about Rondo? That'd be swag. Yeah. Perk. Oh, Perk. Oh, I forgot he was on those teams too. Oh, um, or Kendrick. Or Kendrick. That's a good one. You know, Kendrick, Kendrick would be great. Kendrick Perkins. When you – uh, so let's just like dial it back a little bit. So yeah. when before you came to Boston, you were hustling in Akron, correct? Yeah, I grew up there. Yeah. So when did you start getting your feet wet in sports journalism in general? Uh, it's been a blessing, man. I, I'd say pretty, pretty much immediately, you know, right after I, I would, I say it this way. I always tell people this. I, I got the first time I got paid to be a sports journalist. I was 18, 19. I was 19. So I was, I uh, wrote an article um, 
for the Akron Beacon Journal. I was an intern. Uh, and then and when I was in school, I was doing some correspondent work for the Beacon Journal while I was going to school in Pittsburgh. So I'd say like 19 or, 19 or 20, uh, I've been doing it since that time. Were you ever a good athlete? Never. Nor was I, man. Never. <laughs> not, not, even, not, not for a second. Never, but you just... ever, ever, never, ever. <laughs> <laughs> no way. No but you, way. But you wanted to be, right? Um, yeah, you know, I wanted, to, I, wanted to play, I wanted to play basketball. I wanted to be good at basketball because I just enjoyed the game so much. I enjoyed competing. And so it's, it's good when, you, when you're younger, you don't necessarily have to be a good athlete to be out there to compete. You just, hey, you know, you're out there with a bunch of other, you know, seventh grade, sixth, seventh graders, and they're better than you, but it's not so obvious that you don't just belong on the court. But when I got to high school, it was pretty clear that I didn't, I didn't belong out there. And so it was heartbreaking that it was <laughs> that I couldn't compete like that. But I always, I, I think I loved writing more than I loved basketball. So I, I could, I could always, I could always write about basketball and not play it. Well, so what's interesting is now that, you know, I'm building GDP in the city, I've noticed I was never a good athlete and it always frustrated me because I was still competitive but it's interesting when you reach your career, then it's like, okay, I can channel all that energy into something else. Did you kind of have a moment like that with your writing? You're like, all right, I could be like, Hey man, I'm definitely not going to be Michael Jordan, but I could be Stephen King. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's interesting. I always thought, I always thought that too. I always thought that I liked basketball because of the competition. But it's not the competition. I, and I'm, I'm, I'm learning this late. I think I probably figured this out, Connor, like four or five years ago. It wasn't the competition that I love about it. It's camaraderie. So, yes, of course, you go out there, you want to win, and, and you know, you, they're keeping score. As Bill Belichick always says, you know, you're keeping score. You might as well win it. Sure. But I just love people. I love the community aspect. So it's interesting that writing is not about community writing is solitary you know you to get it right you can't well i can't i always look at these people who are writing in starbucks and all this thing i can't do that to write i i need to be here by in the myself cave. And, and just do it so that's a solitary experience but sharing it is community so i get my community fill my community jones from from sharing with people because I just love, I love people. So that's, that's what it was. I, I, I missed more than anything was just being with a group of people. So are you like kind of pessimistic about what the sports world's going to look like moving forward just because kind of maybe no crowds for a while? No, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say pessimistic. I'd say curious. I'd say in, intrigued to a degree, to a degree, because I wouldn't want it to last for five years because, you know, we need, <laughs> hey, we need fans. We need fans uh, in the, uh, in the parks and in the arenas. I mean, it's good for, it's good for what you're doing. It's good for what I'm doing, but just as a temporary measure, I just want to see what it looks like. And, and to go back to that Celtics team, you don't imagine Connor, you can just imagine if you didn't have fans around and you could actually hear what Kevin Garnett was saying. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That'd be cool. 
Don't bring the kids, though. Have you tapped into some, like, really, really raw footage of that team when writing the book? Because, sure. I mean, obviously, the last dance just finished. Like, some of this footage is ridiculous. Yeah, the footage is great. Yeah, it, it really is. It's, it's uh, well, it's a lot of good stuff. Once you do research, you find a, a lot of cool stuff. But I agree with you on the last dance, uh, your last dance point. And I, I'd like to know, I'll ask you just a quick question. I know you're asking me questions. Let me ask you a question. How am I doing, by the way? Am I doing a good job? Yeah, yeah, you're killing it. Sweet. You're killing it. Um, you got me comfortable. You got me comfortable in talking. So, good, man. Uh, that's, that's always good. As Lexi knows, uh, that is a big part of interviewing, get people just to relax and talk. Lexi, what, what did you get for a grade in Professor Holly's class? Oh, you know what she got. Come on. Come <laughs> I got on. an A. Oh, I don't know the last time I got one of those, man. <laughs> two classes. I had her for two classes. And she got, and she got A's in both. You're playing favorites. You're gonna no, get fired, no. man. You got. You can see her work. You see her work. Work speaks for itself. Impeccable. Thank, uh, thank you. Yeah, it's it's great. But now I'm gonna ask you a question, Connor. About you mentioned the last dance. So I remember watching Jordan. I mean, Jordan was my my first job. My first well, I shouldn't say my first job. My first time covering a beat was in 1993, the 93-94 season. So I was named as the uh, beat writer for the Akron Beacon Journal. I was covering the Cavaliers, and they were in the same division as the Bulls. So I'm saying, oh, this is great. Uh, I, I'm, I'm covering basketball. I'll be traveling. I get to watch Michael Jordan up close, and a couple weeks later, he retired. So I remember Jordan as, like, I, I, was, I was 21, 22 years old watching Michael Jordan you weren't what's it like seeing like what's your assessment of of jordan the player now that you see i know it's this footage and you can't it's not really the same but what's your assessment of him as a player after you watch the series yeah i was just watching espn and i heard jay williams talk about something like totally similar he was like this documentary has provided people in younger generations the perspective of how much of a competitive psycho jordan was that, that nobody could really tap into beforehand yeah. and so it's been it was it's fascinating just his psyche like i don't know if we've ever had anyone like that in our generation and it and it's great that he he it's not just basketball and he carries it over to everything like that's that uh that scene where he's like throwing quarters against the wall. Crazy. And then it's I, like, all right, now I know why. I mean, obviously it was his play speaks for itself, but now I know why the Jordan brand is the biggest shoe brand in the world. You know what I'm saying? Like, or how about the George Carl story at dinner? Remember that story? Like you're going to have to refresh my memory. Okay. Here it is. They're, they're playing the Sonics in the NBA finals in 1996. And so Sonics coach George Carl is at dinner. Jordan's at dinner with Ahmad Rashad. Ahmad Rashad was everywhere, wasn't he? With, yeah. with Jordan. So Jordan's at dinner with Ahmad Rashad and, and George Carl, they see George Carl and George Carl doesn't come over to speak to him. So now Jordan is pissed that George Carl didn't speak to him. Hey, we both went to North Carolina. You're not going to acknowledge me. So he wanted to torch George Carl's team. He used that as fuel because he didn't speak to him. And here's the crazy thing. If Carl had spoken to him, he would have turned, he would have worked that thing out. He would have turned that around and made that disrespectful too. How dare this guy come over to me as I'm having dinner? He's going to interrupt my dinner. 
okay, oh yeah, too arrogant. You know, it's just anything, any kind of advantage he could get, he would use it to his advantage. And he still hates Isaiah's guts. <laughs> <laughs> that is intense. I know, it's crazy. What, um, in your experience now, just being so connected to Boston sports and like all these great teams, have you noticed anybody with a similar mindset in terms of athletes? Good question. I was thinking about it. Uh, Brady to a degree, to a degree, but not really. The, the most competitive person just across the board all the time I've come across in Boston is not an athlete. It's, it's Belichick. Like, but you think about it. It makes sense, doesn't it? You think about what people would say about Jordan. He wasn't nice and he held them accountable and he would always have something to say and he was kind of still they weren't really sure what was going on with him emotionally who's that sound like that's I mean that's that's Belichick so that's from a coaching perspective and I remember writing this note down if I had my notebooks I'd, I'd share it with you working on my first book first book I have access to the Patriots and I remember being in Miami. I remember it like yesterday, which was like 2002. It was hot. Uh, I was overdressed <laughs> in Miami because I just didn't get the humidity of South Florida. But I was there on the sideline, and I'm listening to Belichick, and I'm watching Belichick, and I wrote down, Bill Belichick is the most competitive person I've ever seen. I wrote in my notebook, Bill Belichick, most competitive person I've ever seen, definitely the most competitive person in this organization. Wow. Yeah. And it hasn't waned at all. No. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Diabolical. Uh, does, not, does not give uh, two Fs about you, what you think. If it's all about, it's all about the team. It's all about uh, team building. And if he feels like this is the way to go, he's going to do it. If he hurts your feelings, so be it. You'll get past it. Straight ahead. Now, what's interesting is I wonder if, if, humans competitive nature it decreases over time because it seems like i mean he's in his what 60s 70s now and he's still as competitive as he was Does, have you ever noticed that happening with athletes are the true competitive no. psychos always competitive psychos yeah I, I think so i think it is by the way he's 68 bill all right does it does competitiveness go away? No. I think maybe they develop some new tools. So it, it, when, you're, when you're 35, you think, this is the way I have to do it. I have to be this way with people to get the result. And then, you've, and then you learn that, well, no, wait a minute, I can win another way. So you're still competitive as you were, but maybe you just don't use the same tools uh, that you used 10 years ago or 15 years ago. Can you give me an example of like how that works? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll tell you this. Um, okay, let's use uh, let, let's use let's use Jordan as an example. So he was always looking for that edge, and he was always looking for somebody who could give him uh, who could light a fire, who could actually add to the fire that was always inside of him. So he did that when they won their first championship. He did that when they won their sixth championship. But I think. Uh, later, and you, I don't know if you saw the, the one, the episode, it may have been episode seven, where he's talking about the fight with Steve Kerr. So he has this fight with Steve Kerr. They're going at each other. 
and he and and Kerr pushes him in the chest and, and Jordan punches him in the eye. But he realized that wait a minute, I, I don't have to. This is I'm I'm wrong. I'm, I don't have to do this. So I think a competitive a, a flatline competitive cycle will beat up his teammates, will beat up anybody. To it's the means to the end, and I think Jordan realized that he didn't have to necessarily go at his teammates to get the best out of them. And you know that certain people have different buttons to push. Like you can't, you can't treat, you can't treat Steve Kerr and uh, Bill Winnington the same. You can't treat uh, Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman the same. I think Rodman was good for Jordan because I'll bet you Jordan 91 through 93, first three championships, Jordan. There's no way that guy thought he could win a championship with Dennis Rodman. He would be like, what? Are you kidding me? That guy, we can't, we can't win a championship. I love that shot of him riding yeah. away in the motorcycle. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I think he learned that there are different ways to, to get it done. So f- fresh off the documentary and, and you having such close ties to the Pats, I mean, I'm so, I'm so in love with the Patriots that like, I still think there's an argument for Tom Brady to be a better athlete of all time or better competitor than Jordan. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Ah, competitor. And get rid of all the like Fugazi that's in your mind right now after the documentary ending. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, I think, no, I think it's a good, I think it's a good question. And then you have to, I mean, it leads to, Another argument, another discussion altogether is like, how do you see uh, competitive, how do you see competitiveness and how do you see athleticism? Tom Brady's in the conversation. A lot of people wouldn't even put him in the conversation because they're thinking, look, look at Jordan. The guy had the perfect body and he was just like, he was always, he's, a, he's an acrobat and just did so many things, so graceful. And they don't think of Tom Brady as athletic in that sense. But I'm going to tell you, if you're going to play football for 20 years and be elite for 20 years, which I'm, I'm gonna, you can count on one hand how many athletes have achieved that. Just say elite play for 20 years. Jordan didn't do that. Now, could, could Jordan have done that? Probably. Uh, if he hadn't you know, taken the time away from baseball and they hadn't broken up the bulls early, but 20 years of elite play, like you know, Joe Montana didn't do that, and Troy Aikman and Dan Marino. I mean, there's so many great football players and great athletes, regardless of sport, who haven't done that. I think if you do it, you, you certainly have to be in the, in the conversation. And you, you have to be in the conversation of athletics. And you have to be in the conversation about competitiveness, too, because there's something that makes you want to do that. At some point... <laughs> taking hits, even though the hits in football in 2020 aren't like they were in, you know, 1985. Still, why would you want to do that? So there's something, there's something there. All right. So give me your stance. Are are you going with the Jordan or Brady? I'm going to still go Jordan though, but I'm I'm valid. What's your deal, man? Hey, Connor, I'm validating your argument, but I'm still going Jordan. (laughs) Documentary was crazy. Are you a... What was that like for you personally when uh, when Brady left? Just because you've been so close to the team and the organization, what did, what was it like for you? I thought he would stay. I did too, man. I, I really did. I, but you know, I should say I thought he should have stayed, and that's a big statement because that would require the Patriots 
wanting him to, you know, play here until he was 45. They did not want him to play here until he was 45. He did, and they didn't want to. So once, once they didn't give him that contract extension last summer, it was just, it was, it was academic. He was out because they, they, they had different goals. He wanted to continue to play uh, and have the team be a certain way. And, and they, and they didn't, they, they were ready to, that's the last dance parallel there for you. Like how long do you keep a good thing going? See, I would be a terrible, I'd be a terrible GM because once I got a championship squad, I'm riding that squad out. Yeah, I, I'm going to let them get old. They're going to get broken down. Arthritic needs, knees, bad elbows, bad backs. Look, if you can give me a championship, I'm sticking with you until you prove that the thing is done. And uh, the Patriots don't think that way, and, and the Bulls didn't think that way. The Bulls were wrong because they haven't been back to the final since uh, 1998. They haven't even been close since 1998. And we'll find out if the Patriots were wrong. For you, though, I mean, you've been so enveloped in the Patriots world for so long. I mean, when did you get to Boston? 97, 98? 1994. 94. Okay, 94. So you saw the whole dynasty happen. Was it, I mean, did you have a weird sentimental value to the dynasty personally? Or? No, 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 no. I, no, I, I never looked at it like that. Um, I just look at it from a, a yeah, it, it's personal because I live here and I'm invested. So you, you, you remember and care about things that are important to you. So it's important to me, but I, I never allowed myself to feel like I was like, you know, a member of the team or anything like that. Um, I thought it was cool from a storytelling standpoint and it still is. That's why I've written what, how many, like three or four Patriots related books because it's such a good story but being personally crushed by it, not necessarily. I mean, we're a Tom Brady household here. If my daughter were here, she'd show, show you her cool Tom Brady jersey. We're a Tom Brady household, and, and, I, and I'm, uh, I admire what he's been able to do, but it, it, didn't, uh, it hasn't put me in a fetal position or anything like that. Well, it's just it's, kids my age grew up with just the Patriots winning. I mean, I grew up in Titletown, USA. So it's just like a weird end of this awesome thing we grew up with, you know? No, so wait a minute. All right, so if you were, I should do the math now. If you were in the fourth grade in, in 2008, you were- I was in the eighth grade, 2008. I'm, oh, no, eight, I'm sorry, eighth grade in 2008. Where were you born, like 96, 97? 95, end of 95. 95, 95. all right. So 1995, and so your first, you have a pretty good memory. So do you remember watching football when you were what, six? Uh, I don't know. Seven, <laughs> eight, nine? I will but just rip it's it. It's even better. It's even better. Because my point is, if you remember, if your first football memory is even at 10 years old, you haven't seen the team struggle ever. You've never seen, like. I was, at, I was at the Jacksonville Super Bowl when they beat the Eagles and Rodney Harrison cut yeah pick i was yep, there yep yep did the whole thing fly eagles fly okay yeah i was there too nice we were probably so, sitting next to each other you were drunk i was not drunk <laughs> i was not drunk i can tell you that i was not drunk but so you haven't seen you don't even know what struggle is like what do you that's it's gonna be wild for you last year for some people last year was a struggle for some people and they were 12 and 4 <laughs> yeah 
I mean, I counter, I, I want you to, uh, I want you to live tweet. I want you to journal. I want you to do all kinds of things. When they go seven, when they like that first year, they go seven and nine, which might be this year. You better wash that mouth, nine. man. I want you, what, what? Come on. You have had a great run. They, they don't. Why do you want us to lose? You should be pumped. Because, because it's not sustainable to keep this going. You need, at, at some point, you need to replenish. It's like getting fuel. You need to replenish and, uh, and go to the top of the draft every now and then. I'm not talking about like these pathetic franchises where you're always losing. You're always drafting. The Jets. The Jets. Yeah, Jets and Bengals and Browns. You're always losing and you're never getting better. I'm talking about a smart franchise every now and then goes into the top 10, picks up some prime talent, and then builds on it. The Ravens did that five years ago. Five years ago, the Ravens did it. Now they're one of the best teams in the AFC. Like everybody does it. The Patriots have it. What, do you, what team are you going to shift to next to be the most winning in Boston? Like who's going to make the next run if it's not the Patriots? Uh, the Celtics seem well positioned, well positioned for it. You know, young young players who are are doing this. You know, it's one thing to have young players, but they're if they're kind of flatlining, you're like, okay, what's the big deal? But they got young players who are who are ascending, like Jason Tatum and Jason Brown, uh, Jalen Brown, and they're both they're both under contract. So, yeah, it's probably going to be the Celtics. And you think the Celtics have, if the NBA comes back, have a legitimate shot at taking the chip, or at least going to this the chip? Year? Yeah. This year? No. No, I, I think uh, – but then again, you know, who knows what the format's going to be too. And things are just weird. Yeah, but they're not that weird. I think with basketball in the NBA too. The NBA, this is like the difference. Like people miss this. Don't miss this. All right? People miss this difference between like college basketball and the NBA. I'm an NBA fan. And so I, I, you know, give me like the best of the best. If I, if, if I can watch college basketball or pro basketball, give me, give me the pros. So the college basketball defenders always say, well, why don't you see as many upsets uh, in, in the pros that you do in college basketball? Well, it's obvious. You got 40 minutes in, in, one, in one league and 48 in another. So you got more time. If you're screwing up, you got more time to figure it out in pro basketball. Then you got a 24 second shot clock. So you got to think faster and you got to make quicker decisions over the course of 48 minutes. And you got a series. So over the course of 48 minutes, five game series, seven game series, the best team is going to prevail. And so the Celtics are not the best team. They don't have the best talent right now. The Clippers do, the Lakers do, the Bucks are better. So it would take something pretty dramatic for them to win the championship this year. But I could see it happening in a year or two. Yeah, but I'm just saying you don't think the hiatus could definitely have an impact on the team's unity? Like, it's like you get all this steam going, and then it's just like, all right, see ya. Yeah, unity is cool. That's nice. That's nice. Unity. Hey, you're the camaraderie guy, man. You guys said you love camaraderie. Camaraderie, that's, that's important, too, but still, so's talent. Talent's important. That's a fact. Hey, uh, Lexi, you want to ask a haymaker of a question? Go ahead. Go ahead. Hit me. I would love with- to. Uh, I would like to ask a journalism-specific question for All right. Holly. This is, is going to be good. I don't know if I'll be able to answer this. I know this is going to be a good one. How do you reconcile the foundation of journalism being telling the truth and the fact that the industry relies on making money to survive? Can these ideas exist in harmony or are they inherently at odds with each other? 
Uh, no, no, that's, a, that's an excellent question. And I think they can, yeah, they're, they're not, they don't necessarily have to be in opposition. Journalism is, I, like, as a journalist, I know it is, it is a business. I haven't gone into the business to get rich. Uh, I'm not rich. So that's not, that's not the that's mission. That's kind of nice, man. What's that? Your spot looks kind of nice. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you think so? Okay. All right. All right. Well, so does yours. Okay. I, I'm I, at my mom's condo. Uh, okay. All right. But no, I, I don't think you go into it. You don't go into journalism saying, I'm going to make a lot of money. So when I'm reporting, I'm thinking about the story that I have to do. And so if the story makes people uncomfortable, if it calls out people in power, if it's going to cause, uh, if it's going to uh, be a scandal that exposes somebody, good. I know it's a business, but I'm still able to do my job. Now, this is where it gets tricky, Lexi. Where it gets tricky is if you try to do those stories and now you're shut down by your employer. For example, if I work for the Washington Post and I've got a scandal, I got a big investigative story on Amazon and Amazon is running the Washington Post and they say, you can't write this because, uh, hey, listen, that, that's, that's paying the bills. Now I've got a decision to make. Am I going to sit back and take it? Because as Connor says, I got to keep the lights on in a nice place here. Let's go. The Holly Mansion. Or, or do I zip it up? And I think if you start zipping it up, then you have to say, you're not a journalist anymore. You, you, you have to make it, you have to get, journalism is is about exploration it's about investigation and at times it's about asking uh going to uncomfortable places and when you stop doing that you're not doing journalism anymore and i, I think i think most i think most uh good newspapers they're fewer and fewer uh, now but i think most good good newspapers still do that that's a great question see what's interesting that i've learned through slugs and lexi who they're aspiring journalists and producers i didn't start this show because i wanted to like break a story and it was like news to me that people have a desire to like reveal the truth i like never had had that and so it was really interesting hearing her talk about it have you always had that bug personally yes 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 absolutely we need it we need it this is not a it's not a game. I'm not getting you in trouble here. This is not a partisan. It's not a partisan position. Uh, for some reason, it has become it. It shouldn't. It is not partisan. And, and Lexi has heard me say this many times in class. I'll tell students flat out, I don't care what your politics are. I don't care. I do not care what your politics are. Uh, you could be far right. You could be far left. You could be apolitical. I don't care. What I want from you is thorough storytelling. I know I'm not gonna get objectivity from you because you're a human being. I cannot be objective. I have blind spots, so do you. Uh, what I need uh, storytellers to do and to be is aware of their own blind spots. I'm gonna tell you what one of my blind spots is. Lexi's heard me say this in class. One of my blind spots is I, I was raised by a, a single mom. As was I, kind I of. Raised, raised by a single mom and so, and this is never really brought up in the objectivity conversation because we're so, we're so focused on politics. We don't think about the big picture, but this is, this is, this goes into objectivity too, because of the way I was raised. If I'm doing a story 
on a single mom, I'm riding for her. I, 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 if there's a dispute, I'm instinctively going to take the side of the single parent because it's part of my background. Part of my background is, is, is being an African-American who grew up in the Midwest. I can't change that. So I'll look at the world through certain lenses based on my experiences. And so it's okay to know that you can be subjective, but you also can be fair. And so what I'm trying to do uh, in journalism is seek the truth, be objective, and, and, and well, not, no, seek the truth, be fair, and be thorough. That totally just shifted my perspective on journalism, man. Thank you. Hey, hey you should, it's, it's the greatest thing going. It's the, it, I'm telling you, this is an awesome business. It'll make you, it'll make you smarter. Uh, you'll meet some cool people. Make it'll some be- enemies, man. You might make some enemies. That's okay. That's no, right. we don't, we don't want to have foes, man. Come Only on, friends. come on, come on. Do you have any media beefs with anybody? Like anybody hate your guts in the media? Does anybody hate my guts? I'm sure. I don't, man. I, I, I don't know about it, but I'm sure they do. I've been around long enough to, yeah, I'm sure somebody says, okay, enough with that guy. Well, yeah, you've never had a moment where you've written like a hit piece and then you like see the guy in public and it's like, yo, man, what was up with that? You've been talking to Rick Patino? Is that who the beast with Patino? Well, I went to I went to Providence College. He used to coach there. I know, I know he did. He did a good job there. Um, but yeah, but that was one of those things where, hey, I see something that's not quite right. You got some sources telling you things about uh, how he coaches, and he didn't like it. But you're always going to come across that when you're doing a, when you're doing a story the right way. You're going to come across some people who don't like what you're doing. That's just part of the job. But do, do I personally have, have beef with anybody? No. Good, man. Hey, B. Yeah. The Boston Sports uh, Fanatic. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Uh, first off, I see you got Midnight Marauders in the background. It's one of my favorite albums of all time. So I love that. Um, my love question it. is... What do you think is the biggest truth that must be uncovered right now in sports? I mean, we've, we've had, you know, the baseball cheating scandal was the most recent one, but is there one that people are afraid to investigate? Yep. Yep. The big one, um, and this is going to be, you know, this goes back to Lexi's question. This is a big one. The big one, and we're dancing around it. We're talking about it but we're dancing around it. And that is the issue of uh, concussions. CTE uh, in football, like the NFL has been dragged to the table, kicking and screaming and protesting about head trauma. So you don't have to go back too far. This is on uh, you know, HBO Real Sports, like probably 10 years ago, a, a leading NFL doctor, a doctor, was asked about head trauma and does the do hits to the head lead to CTE in football? He said, no, look this up. Look up this interview, famous interview with uh, Bernie Goldberg, I think. He said, no. So the NFL has been so late on concussions. And if we really start digging into it and what happens with concussions, a few things will happen. One, some of the partnerships 
with the NFL are, are, are going to be uncomfortable. Uh, talking about everybody, because th there's a lot of money tied up in this. And the NFL will have to, they're going to have to get to those statements that tobacco companies have on cigarettes. Hey, here's a warning. This is what, wait, you can do it, but this is what will happen to you if you smoke this. Because it, it's becoming more and more evident that football, uh, pro football especially, you play it at a high level, uh, their chances are pretty high that you're going to come away with some type of trauma. And the more we investigate that, the more people will have to make some, some tough decisions. Now, Connor, I don't think, and, and B, I don't think that it, that means people will stop playing football because economics will drive this uh, a lot too. If, if some more affluent people say, Oh, wait a minute. I'm not doing that. I got my life to live. I'm, I'm not going to go out there and, and have my brain scrambled. There will be people who, who don't have a lot of economic opportunities who will say, well, I can play football. And that's guaranteed money right there. So, hey, maybe I'll have some head trauma, but I'm going to get my millions before that happens. We had Mickey Ward on the podcast yesterday. And he's a, obviously the famous boxer and we'd asked him too and i just jokingly asked i was like hey man like what would it take to get you back in the ring he's like i would just never do it again it's just not worth it wow and he said that and he's a legend him. yeah you know that's a lot hey slugs you ready for it you got a haymaker from michael give me, a haymaker. Michael. Give me one Yeah, look, I think uh, I think all these plans, I think all these plans are are pretty solid. I mean, the plan itself is solid. I just always uh, slugs, right? Slugs. I just slugs. always go with you know doctors and scientists. If you're telling me that you believe that that based on the information that you have and the research that you've done, you believe that that it's safe. I say, all right, go ahead and do it. I'm not forcing, I'm not going to like trip out about it if, if a player doesn't want to because it's the great unknown. But at some point, yeah, I'm sure when we start to get back to some routines, some routines have gone away. Let's just face that. Some routines are not going to come back. But when we get back to some other routines, it's going to be a little uncomfortable at times. It's going gonna, it's gonna to feel, it's going to feel strange. I like that baseball is trying to come up with different ways to get the sport going again on the field. What I don't like is their public negotiations. That feels like bullying. They're trying to, uh, the owners seem to be trying to call out the players, uh, trying to uh, expose them publicly to force them into a bad deal. But just gameplay itself, yeah, that sounds like a fair idea. I'm a little behind. I thought you were going to ask me the, the, best, uh, the best song on Midnight Marauders. <laughs> I actually don't know Midnight Marauders. Brendan, what would you say? Um, I, I always got to go with electric relaxation. What, what, what do you say? Electric relaxation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's good. Oh, man. If you had a, if, if my wife were here right now, she'd be like, oh, I like that, Brendan. That's her song. What's that? He said, is that your favorite rap group from the 90s? Uh, 
it's up there. It, they're in the top three. I would say my favorite, my favorite hip hop group is The Roots. Still, Brandon, you like The Roots, right? Oh yeah, I saw them in concert. Oh my goodness, con- where, where, where'd you when and and where was the concert? It was in Baltimore. Blue? Um, oh, Baltimore. Four years back, I think. Oh man, hey, listen, Connor, Roots in concert. So not only do they do their own stuff, they'll do Tribe Called Quest, they'll do Outkast, Biggie, Kendrick, Earth, Wind & Fire, Guns N' Roses. I mean, it's it just all over the place. They are, they are an incredible, an incredible musical group. I'm going to sound brain dead, but the roots are who perform on Jimmy Fallon, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. And you might yeah. want to check out the... Uh, Next time we talk, that's my nice way of saying that. Oh yeah, we about to we about to wrap this up. But yeah, I got <laughs> uh, you. Uh, but uh, the next time we talk, you're going to we're going to talk about that Black Thought freestyle on uh, on Hot 97. He did uh, with Funkmaster Flex. He did a, a 10 or 11 minute freestyle. That's insane. So he starts off the freestyle, and he's li- and, and his face is like is dry like mine. And then five or six minutes in. You see the beads of sweat. And then by the end of it, it looks like he played 40 minutes in the NBA Finals. Black Thought Freestyle? But just straight up, brilliant, brilliant freestyle. Some of the references, I have a friend of mine who teaches, uh, I, I should have gone to this high school, but he teaches a hip-hop, uh, hip-hop class uh, at this high school. So he had his students go in and pretty much annotate the whole freestyle. Wow. Yeah. Give me the, so because there are references to, to Tesla, to Voltaire, to uh, uh, Chopra. I mean, like on and on. There's so many uh, there's so many literary references. F. Scott Fitzgerald. So we just made him go in and just like and, and catch every reference. I'm gonna put that in my notes. Um, OK, listen, to wrap it up. We got two ending show bits, but I did have one question I wanted to ask. You can answer it very quickly. Okay. They're right now ESPN is playing the most ridiculous SHIT on repeat. Like ridiculous, man. And so we did a little searching. If the quarantine continues and you have to be stuck inside, like your eyes are glued to the TV nonstop, what would you rather watch on repeat? World of Tetris, Cornhole, or the professional lumberjack league where they just like grunt and slam axes into wood? Mm, mm, mm. That is tough. All right, so let's eliminate cornhole. I'm with you. <laughs> That's got to go. Right, let's eliminate <laughs> cornhole right now. So we're down to lumberjacks and Tetris. <laughs> All right, uh, I'll go with the lumberjacks. I would I'll too, just, honestly. I'll go with the like, Tetris, would just drive back. I was like, okay. At least it, there'd be some difference. You have live bodies, like, you know, and, the, and, there, and there's some high risk there. It's like one of those yeah, yeah. axe slips. That's right. It might be, it might be gory. It might be nasty. You know, there's, <laughs> there's an opportunity for a viral moment there. That's a fact. All right. So, so we have two bits. The okay. first one's called GDP sales mode. I'm going to give you the floor for 40 seconds. We do this with every guest. I'm going to time it. You have the floor to pitch whatever you want to pitch in vanity. 
I'm assuming it's probably going to be your book or some other stuff you're selling, but this is your time to be wicked selfish and uh, whatever you want to get off your chest, do it. I'm going to do a five second countdown and I'll tell you when we go. You ready? Yes. Three, four, five, four, three, two, one, sales mode. I'm going to tell you right now why you need to believe in newspapers and journalism altogether. Oh, you thought I was going to sell my book. No, I'm not. I'm going to tell you that there are still good people out there who are not leaning toward one side or the other, who don't care if it's the right or if it's the left. They just want what's best for the United States of America. They want good stories. They want all sides represented. 10 seconds. The way we are right now, the fractured, uh, the, as fractured as we are as a country, we've got to stop that. We've got to come together. And the way we do it is through newspapers. Done. Sweet. Killed it. I want newspapers. I, lo I love newspapers. I want newspapers to survive. What about podcasts? And podcasts. It's all, it's all connected. It's all, it's, all, it's all the same ecosystem. All connected. We're all boys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, hey, do you have a good time? Of course. Sweet. Yeah, Lexi, thanks time. for doing this, man. This was, this was a blast. Hey, yeah, this of course. Is a, Thank you, guys. It was it's awesome. A lot of fun. And uh, listen, if, if, if Lexi Matthews was behind it, I said, okay. Lexi wouldn't steer me wrong. So I had no idea. Who's this Connor guy? I don't know. She says she's working with this guy, Connor. Should I do the podcast? That's why I did it. But I'm glad I did. I think your I'm parents are cutting, are cutting Professor Holly checks. I think that's what's going on, Lexi. The jig is up. <laughs> no, no. Hey, listen, she's got, she's got her grade now. She's good. She's good. Okay, this is how we start and end the show. You got to say, hi, your name, and this is my golden hour. Directly after, no break, hi, your name, and that was my golden hour. So it's this is, and the second one is that was. All right. <clears throat> Hi, I'm Michael Holly, and this is my golden hour. Hi, I'm Michael Holly, and that was my golden hour. Hey, man, I had a blast. Thank you so much. I had a lot of fun, too. Thank you. We should do it again. Absolutely. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get – what size shirt are you, a large? No, I go mediums. Oh, God. You no, look more medium. bulky than a medium. No, no, I don't, I don't want all that. There's too much room. This is a oh. medium. I, I don't like a lot of room in my shirt. All right, I'm gonna ship you a brand new sweatshirt. I, I don't go. Address. I don't go muscle shirts. I don't go muscle shirts. But oh, if it's a sweatshirt, okay, large. Okay, it's a hoodie. I got you, man. T-shirt, medium. Sweatshirt, large. All right, sweet. Hey, you're the go. Thank you for doing this. All right, appreciate you. Appreciate Thank you. Have a good one. Present.